Destiny City, a community of believers committed to helping others find and fulfill their God-given destiny. Proverbs 29, verses 16 and 18. Two verses. Verses 16 and 18. And the New New International Version says, When the wicked thrive, so does sin. But the righteous will see their downfall. And verse 18 says, Where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint. But blessed is he who keeps the law. The Amplified Bible says it this way. When the wicked are in authority, transgression increases. But the uncompromisingly righteous shall see the fall of the wicked. In verse 18, where there is no vision, no redemptive revelation of God, the people perish. But he who keeps the law of God, which includes that a man, blessed, happy, fortunate, and enviable is he. The New American Standard Bible says it like this. When the wicked increase, transgression increases, but the righteous will see their fall. Verse 18, where there is no vision, the people are unrestrained, but happy is he who keeps the law. As you can see, those passages are worded differently, but the meaning is still the same. There are two phrases or words that I want us to look at in that passage and those words are, are vision or perish and to cast off restraint. Vision or cast off restraint. And revelation, where there is no revelation or vision, is the Hebrew word calzon. It, it is a, not, not like the, the Italian thing, you know, with pizza thing. It's like a calzon. It's calzon. Calzon. And, and it's... It, it's a sight mentally. It's something we see, a mental picture. In other words, a dream or a divine revelation, an oracle or a vision. And the primary, primary essence of the word is not so much the vision or the dream itself as the message that is conveyed. It signifies the direct, specific communication between God and the prophetic office. Now, the Bible says in Joel 2.28, it was also quoted in the book of Acts on the day of Pentecost when Peter stood up and he said, this is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel that in the last days I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall do what? Prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams and your young men will see visions. And we're in that day when God is bringing forth a prophetic message to the church. You know, we trusted so long in, in the mental capacity of bringing forth the Word of God, the oracle of God's Word, and, and, and we tried to rightly interpretate it and this kind of thing. But God is speaking prophetically because we are in the last days. This time that we're in, the time of the age, is quickly coming to a close. The culmination of all the things that God has spoken of, the things that Jesus said would happen before his return. Folks, they're happening. They're happening right now. As I speak, they are happening. You know, yesterday was a tough day for me. I don't know about you, but usually I'm, 
I'm one of the first ones sitting up, you know, wanting to go see the fireworks and celebrate and eat watermelon and have a cookout and all these things. Yesterday, I felt like a grieving mother that had just lost a child. My heart was so heavy and still is because of what's going on in this great nation of ours. We did set yesterday, my wife and I sat and we watched the History Channel. We watched three episodes of, of uh, the Sons of Liberty, which was basically the story of Samuel Adams and the, and the colonists and the, you know, the beginning of our country just before the Declaration of Independence and all that they went through to bring forth our freedom and, and what it meant. And, and, and that's what this, this thing, this July the 4th is all about, the birth of a nation. But listen. God is the reason this nation was raised up. It was given birth because people fled England to escape religious persecution and came to America. And, and England even followed them and still wanted to, to, to maintain dominance over them and to extract from them the fruits of their labors and keep them in slavery. But they had to break free of the tyranny of of England in order to do it. So they had to make a declaration. They said, we're going to be free. We're not going to be bound to the tyranny of a nation. We're going to have our own nation. And God has called us into liberty. God has given us freedom in the spirit. He has set us free from the law of sin and death. The law of sin is this. The law of sin is that the soul that sinneth shall surely die. That's the law of sin. What is sin? Sin is the transgression of the law, the Bible says in the book of John chapter 2. So when we sin, we break the laws of God. That's what sin is. Now man can take and interpret the laws any way he wants to and can say that this is legal and this is legal and this is legal. It might be legal in the eyes of man, but it is still a transgression of the law of God. Man says it's, a, it's legal for us to commit adultery, to live and, and fornicate with one another outside of marriage. But the Bible said marriage is honorable and the bed is no longer defiled. The Bible says that sex is to be between a man and a woman within the bonds of marriage. That's what makes it holy. That's what makes it pure. But our government says it's okay. And therefore, because the government or society says it's okay, then we deem it to be Okay, and you're okay, and I'm okay, and that's okay, but it's not okay in the eyes of God. It's transgression against his law, which brings forth consequences. God wants us to live free, and as long as we're still living in sin, we are still in bondage to sin. I want to give you a verse of Scripture, and I want you to chew on this really good. I want you to chew it up really fine before you swallow it. Galatians chapter 6, verse 8 and 9. Be not deceived, for God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. If he sows unto the flesh, he shall of the flesh reap corruption. But if he sows unto the Spirit, of the Spirit he shall reap unto life eternal. That's the Word of God. So we sow things in the flesh, guess where we're going to reap it? 
in the flesh. Are you a Christian believer who's still walking in sin and you're still disobeying God's commandments? You will reap the destruction of it in your flesh. If you continue to do things outside the bounds of the boundaries that God has established within his law, which are to protect us, then we shall reap the consequences of it. If you lie, you're going to get caught. When you're caught in your lie, it's going to cost you something. If you commit adultery, eventually it's going to catch up with you. That jealous husband or wife is coming after you, and there will be no recompense. But your reward is coming. You break the laws of God, you shall suffer the consequences in your flesh. Does that mean you're going to go to hell? If you don't repent, I'm afraid you might. Because... The Bible says, the soul that sinneth shall surely die. What is death? Separation from God. What is the remedy for sin? The blood of Jesus. Now, the word perish or cast off restraint. The word in the Hebrew is the word para. It means to be unruly. Become lawless. Dismissed from work, to remit a penalty, to reject a counsel, or to run wild. What are we doing in America? We have no prophetic vision. We have no concept of God. We have cast off restraint. We have said, I don't want the laws of God. I don't need that archaic stuff. That was written for a bunch of people. Well, you know, several thousand years ago, it doesn't apply to me. So therefore, I reject it. I don't want it. I don't want their God. I don't want that law. I don't want anything to do with it. So what do we do then? We tear down all the boundaries around ourselves. We leave ourselves open and subject to whatever the enemy wants to do. He loves it. We become prey for the enemy to just come in. And what does the enemy desire to do? The thief cometh not but for to kill, steal, and destroy. And he's really good at it. I've seen so many lives that have been stolen from by the enemy. Their self-worth and their self-respect has been stolen away by the enemy. They don't feel good about themselves because they have believed the lie of the devil to say that you have done such horrible things that you cannot be forgiven, that God's grace does not apply to you. The enemy will lie and he will tell you that. That God doesn't love you. He'll tell you that. And if you believe it, then step number two is in motion. He will kill your dreams. He will kill the good things that God has sown inside of you. He will take it away from you. He will kill your innocence. He will kill your desires for God. He will kill your desires for fellowship with other people. He will kill anything good inside of you. And then... Ultimately, he will destroy not only you, but all of those around you. The Bible tells us in the book of Hebrews chapter 13, let there be no root of bitterness springing up inside of you, which shall defile many. We get bitter and we get angry. We get angry at God. We get angry at other people. We begin to blame God. We begin to blame other people. And we get bitter 
And that bitterness builds and grows inside of us. And we become bitter to those around us that love us the most. And we reject them and we push them aside. And they get bitter and angry at us. And then it goes back and forth. And then it begins to spread throughout our family. And then into our community. And then to everything around us. And the enemy has effectively stolen, killed us. And destroyed us. He's done all of those things. When we cast off restraint as a nation, we say to God, we don't need you anymore. Oh, it was nice to have you around when we first got started. But we're nice and powerful now. We've got all these weaponry. we got all these... Wonderful things that we can do. We don't need you anymore. We don't need your protection. We got all the protection we need. You know, we got bombs and we got this and we got that. We got our military. We don't need you, God. You're archaic. You're outdated. We don't need your rules and regulations anymore. So we just want to be left alone. You know what? God is such a gentleman. He will do just exactly that. The Bible says that the nations that forget God shall be turned into hell. Proverbs 14.34 says that righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. I know y'all want to hear from me about my opinion on what happened this week. I won't give you my opinion. I'll give you God's opinion. It's an abomination. It's destructive. It's harmful. We are seeing the death of a nation. We're seeing the outright rejection of God and the shaking of the fists in the face of God. To say that we don't need you and our opinion matters more than yours. When nine justices can sit down and decide for the nation against the laws of God and the things that are clearly written in the, in the counsel of God and to say that homosexuality and same-sex marriage is to be is to be honored in society and even in the church it means a lot for us folks because what's coming next is a persecution the likes of the church has never seen it's a federal thing now it's not determined by the states or the lo- local governments. It's decided by the federal government. And if we don't comply, we could be effectively shut down as a church. To lose our tax-exempt status, we could be ordered to cease and desist as a church. We could have all of our properties taken away and dispersed. All of those things. It's happening. It's happening. Everybody knows about the couple in California or in Oregon, the state of Oregon, that would not bake a cake for a same-sex couple because it was against their religious beliefs and they were fined $135,000 and basically their business was shut down because they would not go against their Christian principles and do it. And a lot of people say, well, why didn't they just bake them a cake? I mean, what's the big deal? Well, the deal is they could have gone anywhere else and got a cake made. They didn't have, it wasn't about the cake, folks. It was about making a statement. 
It was about changing the laws. It was about making changes in society. And these kind of things have been happening. And the, and the church has been sympathetic toward it. And, and a lot of churches, you know, have, 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 have made the decision that they will not only honor, but they will conduct same-sex marriages. They will allow same-sex couples to be active in their church leadership and even pastor their churches and these kind of things. These are the churches of Satan. I'm sorry. The Bible talks about it in the book of Revelation. They are the churches of the Nicolaitans. The churches of the Nicolaitans were the ones who, who took the acts of Balaam. Do you know who Balaam was? Balaam was the prophet who was asked to prophesy against the nation of Israel. And he would not prophesy against them, but he showed the ungodly king what they could do to bring down the nation of Israel. And that was to intermarry with the Moabite women and to become involved in their idolatry. That would bring down the nation. Though he couldn't prophesy against them, he figured out another way to bring down the nation. You see, Satan, if he can't get through one door, he'll look for another one. He'll look for another opportunity to get in. And once he gets into the church, folks, he will do his dirty work. He will begin to divide over issues like this. He will begin to divide because if he can divide us, he can destroy us. What is the one thing that is the uniting factor in the church? What is the one thing that brings us together? Jesus, of course. But it is the truth and the authority of God's word. If we don't accept his word as the final authority on all of our rule and practice, then we've rejected God because God and his word are one and the same. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. So he and his word are indivisible. You can't take one away from the other. So if God's word says something is right, it's right. If God's word says something is wrong or a sin, it's wrong. It doesn't matter what I say or anybody else or nine judges say or anything else. It doesn't matter. What matters is the principle of God's word. It is the final authority of what we believe and what we practice. 1 Timothy 1.12 says this, and, and Paul, you know, we, we're called to love people, and I love people. I love sinners. I love white sinners, black sinners, red sinners, mixed sinners, yellow sinners, doesn't matter, purple sinners. I love sinners. Jesus loves sinners. I love adulterers. I love homosexuals. I love drunkards. I love sinners of every kind. I love child molesters. I even love murderers. But I don't love their actions. I don't love their deeds. I don't love what they do. I mean, has anybody ever had somebody steal something from you? How did it make you feel? Don't you feel violated? You ever had somebody tell you a lie? How does it make you feel? Violated. How do you think God's heart feels when we disobey his laws? We're created in the image of God, and he knows what's right for us. He knows what's wrong for us. 
He knows because he made us that way. And how can we shake our fist in the face of our maker and say, why have you made me thus? God created us the way he wanted us to be. I have no choice in the way that God has created me. But, you know, why do I have these feelings? Well, it's because of our sin nature. That's why we have these feelings. That's why we have these feelings. Why do I get tempted when I see another woman when I've got such a beautiful wife? It's because of the sin nature. Why would I get tempted to want something that somebody else has got, even though I've got plenty and I don't need anything else? It's because of my sin nature. Why would I be tempted to tell you a lie in order to save face? It would be easier for me to tell you a lie than tell you the truth. Why? Because of my sin nature. And we all have it. And the enemy will use it against us. We have three enemies as people of God. You, know, you want to know what they are? You might want to write these down. They're not the devil. He's just one of them. We have the world. And the Bible says in the book of James that friendship with the world is enmity with God. What is the world? It's the cosmos. It's the world system, the world's way of doing things. Just because things are popular doesn't make them right. So don't believe everything that society does is being right. That's the world. Then we have the flesh. Flesh. Everybody say flesh. Yeah. That's that thing we live in. I am a spirit. I have a soul, and I live in a body which has been contaminated by sin. And my body, Paul said he wrestled with it. So if if, if Paul wrestled with it, surely I will wrestle with it too. He said the things I want to do, those are the things I don't do. The things I don't want to do, those are the very things that I do. Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of sin? But thanks be to God and the Lord Jesus Christ who causes us to triumph. You know, in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's it's the fact that, that in Jesus, through him, we can overcome our enemies. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, even your faith. We overcome the world by faith. We understand that, yes, I have these situations and problems, but I have overcome I have. Not I will, but I have overcome. How have I overcome? Because Jesus has already overcome it for me. And if I trust in him, and if I walk in faith in what he has done for me, and if I trust in the precious blood of Jesus, and I trust in the power of his Holy Spirit, I shall overcome. I have overcome. Now, Paul said this, he said this about sinners. He says in, in 1 Timothy 1.12, he says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me into service, into his service, even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor. 
And yet I was shown mercy because, why? I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was more abundant with the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. In verse 15, I love it. It says, it is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance. What is that statement? That Jesus Christ came into the world to do what? To save sinners. Among whom I am foremost of all. And yet, for this reason, I found mercy. In order that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might demonstrate his his perfect patience. As an example for those who would believe in him for eternal life. Paul said, I was the chief of sinners. I felt that way when I came to the Lord. I don't know about you. I had nothing to brag about. I had nothing to, to fight with God about. I mean, I was at that place in my life where if God was willing to save me, I was willing to be saved. You know what I'm saying? I felt like I'd reached that point in my life where I was beyond redemption. I, had, I felt like I had, I had violated the law of God so much that there was no hope for me. But I want to tell you something. You're never at that point where there is no hope for you because Jesus Christ loves you no matter where you are. He loves sinners of all kinds. Paul understood that. But I'm more saddened and impacted at the response of the church than I am of the ungodly Supreme Court judge's decision. It breaks my heart to see the response of the church at large. That we are just to accept and go along with the program because the government says that we have to do it. I know the Bible says to, to honor the, the, the government, to, to uh, uh, honor those who have the authority over you and these kind of things, only when it does not violate God's law. The law of man never supersedes the law of God. And that's where we are. And the church has chosen, and many denominations have chosen to accept this abomination into their congregations and into the church. In order to fill pews, in order to say that we are loving and accepting and these kind of things. Well, listen, anybody who wants to come here is more than welcome to come here. And I will be indiscriminate in preaching against sin. I'll preach against sin of any kind. It doesn't matter what kind it is, because sin is sin. Jesus raised the bar concerning sin. You know, he said to to the Pharisees, he said, you know, you say that, uh, you know, uh, a a man is not to commit adultery. He said, but I'll tell you this, that if a man looks upon a woman to, to lust after her in his heart, he's already committed sin with her. He's already committed adultery with her in his heart. And if you... Look at your brother and you say, you fool or are you insolent person? You've already committed hatred against your brother. You've already murdered him with your tongue. So Jesus raised the bar. He said, it's a matter of the heart that he's dealing with. You see, all of these things emanate from our heart. It's within the heart of man. And we allow the seed of the enemy to get inside of us. And the seeds of doubt 
the seeds of, of the world and the, and, the, and, the, and the things that are contrary to the word of God, if we allow those, seed, those seeds of thought to get into our minds, we will eventually act out on what we are thinking on the inside. Because Jesus said that, that these things don't emanate from the outside. It says it's not what goes into a man that defiles him, but rather it's what comes out of the heart. It's what comes out of the heart. So how do we get these things into our heart? The eyes are the windows to the soul. The ear is the window into the mind. So the things that we see and the things that we hear affect what we think. And what we think affects how we act. And how we act determines our destiny. So it all begins with what we see and what we hear, what we allow into our thinking. That's why the Bible tells us to renew your thinking by the word of well, the washing of the water of the word. And the more we wash our minds with the word of God, the more we flush out our thinking with the word of God, the less likely we are to act out on the things that the enemy tries to sow inside of us. Because the moment that the enemy tries to sow a seed in our mind, we will immediately recognize it. How? By the perfect law of God. We will recognize it, we can reject it, and we can cast off that situation rather than casting off the restraint. I want to bring something to you in the book of 1 Peter 4.12. And Peter is writing to the persecuted church all throughout surrounding all throughout the Roman Empire, basically. The church was getting ready to go through and was in the middle of persecution. I want you to know something, folks, and and, and I'm telling you this for your own good. True believers are getting ready to enter into a period of persecution and tribulation. I'm telling you this prophetically because the Word of God states it, okay? Where there is no vision, where there is no prophetic message from God, the people cast off restraint. But if we understand what God is doing and what God is saying and where we are going and where we're headed, it prepares us for it so that it helps us to rein in our thinking and our thoughts and determine our destination, and determine our destiny. We have to have that prophetic word from God. And the word is very clear. We are in the last days. The Bible is clear in, in, in 2 Peter. It is clear in, in, uh, in, in, in 2 Timothy. It's clear in Matthew 24. It's clear in the book of Daniel. It's clear in the book of Ezekiel. It's clear in the book of Revelation. All through the Scripture is very clear that we are living in the last days. And one of the most telltale signs that we're living in the last days is this. As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. What was it like in the days of Noah? If you go back to Genesis chapter 6 and you read what it was like in the days of Noah, it says that, that God looked down upon the earth and there was so much murder, there was so much treachery, there was so much lying, there was so much rebellion that God repented that he had even made the earth. 
And he decided to do something. And Peter tells us in 2 Peter that God once destroyed the earth by water, but he will once again destroy it, but not by water this time, by fire. And the earth and everything that is in it will be burned up. I remember as a little boy, we used to have sangings at our church. My uncle, my uncle Walter Davis was a world-class banjo picker. I mean, this guy could frail away on a banjo. And there were two guys that used to come to our church. Their, their names were Don and Earl. I'll never forget them. Because one of them, I can't remember if it was Don or if it was Earl, but one of them could whistle the great speckled bird better than anybody ever heard. Y'all probably don't know what I'm talking about. but It was a song that was popular back in the early 60s. It was called The Great Speckled Bird. I think it was Fair and Young that had written or somebody like that. But anyway, they used to come and they sing, and I was just a little boy. I was fascinated by this guy whistling that song. But then things would, you know, things would start to heat up in the spirit, you know, and it was awesome because my uncle, he would get over there on that banjo, and my dad would get his guitar, and, and one of those guys played a bass, and another one the guitar, and, and they would just get to work on it, man, and they would start doing it, and, and, and they would start playing these songs. And when the saints go marching in, I'll never forget that. Oh, Lord, I want to be in that number. And then when the moon refused to shine, all of these verses that they would put into it, you know, and it was something in would, would stir inside of me. And it was almost like they were singing prophetically about what was getting ready to take place. It would stir something inside of my soul as they sang. When Jeremy was singing that song earlier about the love that, that God is wanting from us and, 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 and the kind of love that will carry us through persecution and, and, and even the, 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 the attitudes of the world and this kind of thing. You know, I was thinking about that, how that, that prophetically God is saying something. He's speaking to the church. And listen, folks, I believe God is speaking this everywhere, not just here. Not just here. There's an alarm that is being sounded. And, and in the book of Zephaniah, it says, set the trumpet to thy mouth. Blow the trumpet. Sound the alarm. Let people know Jesus is coming soon. Get yourself ready because he is coming. And what are we going to be listening for? The sound of the trumpet. We're going to be listening for the trump of God and the voice of the archangel. That shall sound when the Lord returns. And in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, the Bible says we're going to be snatched away. We're going to be caught up. Two times in the Bible, there's a word harpizo or harpazo, which means to be caught away or snatched away. This is the word from which we get the word rapture. Raptured away. Caught up. And we're going to be caught up together in the air. And we're going to meet the Lord in the air. We're going to be with those who have gone before us. And we're going to be together with the Lord forever. And the Bible says in 1 Corinthians, it's going to happen in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. Have you ever looked at somebody's eye and saw it twinkle? You know how fast that is? That's fast. There will be no time for repentance. There will be no time to get ready. Jesus likened it to Virgins, there were five foolish virgins and five wise virgins in, 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 the, in the book of Matthew 25. Five of them were wise because they had gotten oil for their lamps and their lamps were full and they were burning bright. 
and they were waiting for the bridegroom to come. Five were foolish because they kept no oil in their lamp. What is that speaking of? That's becoming, that's speaking of becoming lethargic in the spirit and complacent. Not keeping our hearts full, not keeping our, our minds filled with the Word of God and our hearts full of the Holy Spirit, not going after God and longing for Him, not feeding on the things of God, not preparing ourselves and keeping ourselves ready. That's what it speaks of. And what happened? At midnight, the bridegroom shows up, and the five foolish virgins said, Hey, 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 give us some oil for our lamps. We're running out. We're running out. The five wise versions says, I'm sorry. It won't be enough for us and you. Some of us are depending upon what other people have around us to carry us through. We're not getting it for ourselves. We're thinking at the last minute, I'll run to Uncle, I'll run to Jeremy. Jeremy, help me, help me, help me. Jeremy can't help you. I'll run to Holly. Holly, speak to me, help me. And Holly can't help me. Pastor Don, help me. I imagine my phone's going to be ringing off the hook. But I won't be there to answer it. I'm sorry. (laughs) By the way, if you're foolish enough to miss it, you can have my house and car because I won't need it. (laughs) Here we are as a nation. As a nation... We've decided that we don't want to be fettered to the outdated concepts of ancient writings of Scripture that our forefathers basically adhered to. So we have no direction as it changes with the winds of secular and ungodly ideology. So where does it put us those, as those who still believe the inerrancy of the Scripture and the Bible is the authority and rule and practice of God? Now, since the world at large has rejected God and his word, it makes us who still stands as enemies. If we stand on the word of God, we're enemies of the world and its system. Anybody notice that? What are we called? Haters. I haven't seen any Christians hating on people. But we're called haters because we disagree. Everyone else has a right to their opinion. And, and we're called haters as something, you know, we, we, we do something that offends somebody. God forbid that we should read a Bible verse or, 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 or put a Christian sticker on our car or do anything that names Jesus as our Lord. Uh, that's offensive to people. Now, we can do anything else we want. We wear our pants down around our knees. Show off our speckled underwear. Doesn't bother anybody, does it? We say whatever we want to to people. There's certain things that we deem offensive, but other things, I mean, you, you can't, we, don't get me off on that. Who, who said anything? <laughs> but we're enemies of the world and its system because God says that friendship with the world is enmity with God. Not only is friendship with God enmity to the world, But friendship with the world is enmity with God. It makes us enemies. What makes us enemies? Because we think differently. We're from a different planet. I want you to know something. I am an alien. I am a stranger and an alien here. I do not belong on this planet. Beam me up, Jesus. I don't belong here. 
I agree. I am a stranger, a pilgrim here. I'm just passing through. I'm not a citizen of this world. My citizenship is in heaven. So if my citizenship is in heaven, guess what? I want to send everything I got there. I want to lay up treasures there. I want to do everything I can here to make sure that when I get to heaven, that there's enough lumber there to build me a mansion. Because I don't want no corner cabin in the corner of glory. I don't want to be living in a pup tent on the streets of gold. I want a mansion. That's what Jesus promised me. So I'm going to lay up treasures in heaven because I'm not a citizen here. You know, we have, we have immigrants in this country that have come, some legally, some illegally. And I know that a lot of them are here working because they can make a good salary. Many of them live together, cohabit in, in one house. There might be 10, 15, 20 people in a three-bedroom house. They'll work together. They work hard. They work two or three jobs They keep just enough money here to get by, and the rest of it they send back home. They will do this for 10 or 15 years because after 10 or 15 years of doing that, they can go home and live like a king. They can retire because they don't have to pay any taxes, nothing, because they don't have a Social Security number. Everything's paid under the table. They can go home. They can live like a king. Well, you know, the same thing here. This world has nothing for me. Jesus said when the devil wanted to do something to him, he said Satan is desired to do this, but he, he can't do it because he doesn't have anything in me. He doesn't have any right. Well, I have rights in heaven, and I have rights here. But the thing of it is, I am not a citizen here. I am, in the secular sense, a citizen of this nation because I was born here, live here, die here, pay taxes, and those kind of things. But you understand what I mean when I say that my citizenship is in heaven. Because the Bible says, don't think like a citizen of this earth. Put your mind on things above, not on things beneath. Now, there's some things that we need to do. I've given some serious thought about how we need to react to the current situation. I want you to understand something. If we go out and we protest, picket, you know how much good that's going to do? None. We're just going to stir up the anger and ire of people if we do that. We're not called to do that. And if we try to write letters to our congressman and all that kind of stuff to get things changed and all that, that's, that's all right. I mean, you have that right to do that as an American citizen, and that's okay. But that's really not going to change the situation at large. It might change the mind of the politicians, but it will not change the culture. It will not change the most important part of culture is the heart. It won't do it. You can write to the newspaper. You can put it on Facebook. You can complain. Moan and groan and all these kind of things. But it's not going to help. So what do we do? What's the biblical approach to what's going on? First of all, 
humble ourselves and pray. Judgment begins in the house of God, according to 2 Peter chapter 4. If judgment begins in the house of God, how shall the righteous scarcely be saved? And if the righteous are scarcely saved, how shall then the ungodly be saved? Judgment has got to begin in the house of God because we as the people of God in the house of God have fallen down. We have been swallowed up by the culture around us and we become friends with the world. And God's calling us to come out from them and be separate. God has called us to be a holy people for you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood and a holy nation that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. We are to act and to be like the people of God and we are to humble ourselves and pray and If judgment begins in the house of God, then it believes me to believe that we're being held responsible for doing or not doing or not being what God has called us and empowered us to be. He has given us his spirit, which is the authority, is the dunamis, the power, and it is the authority of God to not only to be, but to act on his behalf. Jesus said, I'm going to the Father, but I'm sending the Holy Spirit to you, and he shall be with you and shall be in you. And what did he say as a result of him being with us and in us, that we not only would do the works that he did, but greater things than these shall we do, because he went to the Father. He sent us his Holy Spirit. So he's given us a mandate. What is that mandate? That mandate is found in Matthew 28, 19. It says that, he says, all authority has been given unto me. Go ye therefore into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the, of the age. What is this mandate? Come and sit. That's his mandate, right? He says, go, go you into all the world and make disciples of all nations. Part of our mandate here at Destiny City is to help people find and fulfill their God-given destiny. What is your destiny? It is to equip you. It is to help you mature as a believer in God and to discover your spiritual gifts and begin to operate in those spiritual gifts so that you can fulfill your destiny in God. And help fulfill the mandate that God has given us. And Mark chapter 16, 17 says, And these signs shall follow them that believe. What you are, what? In my name, in the authority of his name, exousia, in the authority of my name, they shall cast out devils. Cast out any devils lately? They shall cast out devils. They shall lay hands on the sick. And they shall recover. I want to tell you something. This is kind of funny, but it's not really funny. But my neighbor... My neighbor's been very sick, by the way. He's um, the coach at Westerland High School, uh, Scott Young. He's awaiting a heart transplant. We've been praying for him. He's doing well, by the way. He's getting out doing stuff. He's at the beach right now. I say, that's pretty good for a guy that's waiting on a heart transplant. But I was out in the yard with my grandchildren the other day, and 
He has a cat. His name is Socks. He's a, he's a sweet little cat. And he comes over, and the poor thing has got cat diabetes or leukemia or something. He's been very sick. He's all frail and puny looking and everything. And he comes over, and, and, and he kept getting close to me, and I wondered why he was getting close to me. So finally, I knelt down on my knee, and I put my hand on his head, and my grandchildren laid over. They put their little hands on his head. And we prayed for the cat, and I cast that spirit out of the cat. You know that cat would not leave? We finally had to say, Boots, go home! Or Socks, or whatever his name is. But something happened to that cat. I'm, I'm not kidding you. Demonic spirits will inhabit any body that they can. They are a spirit. They don't have a body. So they will try to take over a body. They'll even try to take over yours. And if you open that door through pharmacia, which is witchcraft or drugs or alcohol or anything that is mind-altering, if you open that door long enough, and give the, the enemy opportunity. The Bible says give no place to the devil. Let the thief who stole steal no more. If we give him opportunity, he's going to take that opportunity. And eventually those demonic spirits will begin to move in. They will oppress. And if we don't deal with it sooner or later, they will possess your body. They will ultimately take over. So we have to cast out devils and lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Speak with new tongues. Yes, that's in the Bible. And as a believer, we shall speak with new tongues. So these are the things that God is calling us to do. Second Chronicles seven fourteen said, if my people who are called by my name will do what? Humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. We always hear about the part, humble themselves and pray. How? Seek his face. Humble yourself. Turn away from your sins. And when we do that, what did he say he would do? Then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. That's what it's going to take, folks, for America to be turned. I just pray that it's not too late. Here's the next thing we need to do. We need to stand firm and keep on working until he comes. Work while it is called day, Jesus said in John chapter 4. There's a day coming. There's a, you know, it's daylight now. Night's coming. It's work while it's still called day. Keep working. 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says, My dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. 1 Corinthians 16, 13 says, be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be men of courage, be strong, and do everything in love. The third thing is don't give up. Don't give up. Let us not become weary in, well, in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Galatians 5, 9 and 10. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. And this is the most important one. You may not believe it to be that important, but this is vitally important to you for your spiritual health. 
Because God has created us as a family, we are relational beings. That's why this one is so important. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 through 25. Stay connected in the church family. Stay connected in the church family. It says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promises faithful, and let us consider how we may spur one another toward love and good deeds. How do we do that? Through relationship. Now, if I don't have a relationship with you, I cannot come up to you and say, hey, brother, how you doing? Are you doing such and such? Are you, are you staying in the word? Are you, are you praying? Or, or, or have you been listening to the counsel that you received? If we don't have that kind of relationship, we can't do it, can we? But if we have that relationship with one another as brothers and sisters, we know somebody loves us, that we are, we are connected spiritually, that we are bone of bone and flesh and flesh of each other. Then we can accept the counsel that comes from our brother, the prophetic word, the word of encouragement, the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge, even a prophetic word that comes. We can, we, can, we can accept it, and we can spur one another on toward love and good deeds. And verse 25 says, let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing. Now, I don't, mean, I don't know if that means that, that we're not to give up meeting as some are in the habit of meeting, or if it's saying... Let us not give up meeting together as, as some are in the habit of doing. I think it might mean the, 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 the latter rather than the former. That so many people have given up meeting together. They don't see the importance of it. They don't see the relevance of it. Well, I don't need the church. I can just stay at home. There's nothing there but a bunch of hypocrites anyway. Well, that's a hypocritical statement, isn't it? That's very judgmental. Say that I'm better than anybody else in the church. I don't need the church. We all need each other. I'll go ahead and tell you right now, I am not perfect. Those things that stick out on my back, those are shoulder blades, not angel wings. Let's get that clear. And don't go getting self-righteous on me because you're not perfect either. I know those aren't angel wings under your shirt either. So get over it. We all need each other. I need you to encourage me. I need you to spur me on. Man, I can't wait for Sunday morning. It's, it is the highlight of my week. It really is. It's the highlight of my entire week to be able to come here and to fellowship with you folks. I love you so much. And I just, I can't wait to see you. And you know, when, there's, when folks aren't here, I, I know it. I miss them. I miss my family. I do. And if I go away on vacation or something or, or on a mission trip, I can't wait to get home. I mean, it's great to go somewhere else and hang out with some other believers, but there's nothing like the local fellowship. And, and he goes on to say, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another. And we ought to be doing it more as we see that day approaching. 
Don't be afraid to encourage somebody to come to church. I want to tell you something. A lot of people are saved outside of church, but 65% of the people that come to Jesus do so in church. 85% of the people that come to church do so for one reason. You know why? It's not because they look online and see it. It's not because they see your billboard or a card is placed somewhere or they see a bulletin or you have a special event. They come because they are invited Invite somebody to come. Don't worry about whether they like it or not. I'm sure there's going to be something they don't like. But I'm more positive there's going to be something that they do like, which is the presence of God. And you know, if the church ever needed to get together in unity, it's now. We certainly don't have time to fight among ourselves or to walk in offense. We need to love each other. We need to support and pray for one another. And we need to love each other enough to speak the truth in love when it's needed. Don't be afraid to challenge someone. But make sure you arm yourself with the Scripture, not with your own personal ideology. And don't point an accusing finger or judgmental. Just point them to the Word. Just point them to the Word. And we need to study to show ourselves approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing. The word of truth. These are some things that will help you. That's 2 Timothy 2.15, by the way. These are some things that will help you. To know God. To know that he loves us. To stand firm. Humble ourselves. Pray. Stay connected. These are things we got to do. As I said early on, my heart has just really been, been heavy because of the decisions that have been made in our nation this week. And there have been several that have just been horrendous things that have happened that affect us as a nation, as a church. But you know what? God is in control. God's in control. Nothing catches him by surprise. He knows the end from the beginning. And these things have to happen. It's leading up to that day, the coming of the Lord. So don't be discouraged, okay? Encourage yourself in the Lord and understand that something else is happening. Because the Bible tells us in, in uh, Romans chapter 6, where sin, so more, so, where sin abounds, His grace so much more abounds. God's grace is being shed abroad. God is doing something in these last days. I believe that God is getting ready. There's going to be a paradigm shift and a harvest, a great harvest before the Lord comes. There's a sifting. There's a separating of the tares and the wheat. There's a separating of the sheep and the goats, as it were. And God is doing something in the church because judgment has to begin in the house of God. And who is the righteous judge? God himself. God is separating things out. The true believers from the pseudo-believers and the ones who are deceived. So I just want to encourage you with that. I mean, I, 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 I hope that what I said encourages you. I don't want it to discourage anyone. But I do feel like it is my responsibility as a pastor to prepare you to get you ready.
to speak prophetically concerning these things. And Jesus said, these signs, these signs shall appear and then shall the end come. These things that are happening right now is the beginning of the culmination of that day that the Lord is speaking of. Jesus is coming soon. I know that beyond a shadow of a doubt. So prepare yourselves. Would you bow your heads? I, uh, I never take for granted that everybody is ready. I never want to take for granted that everybody knows the Lord, that everybody is ready should that moment take place. Because I don't want anyone's blood on my hands. I don't want to stand before God and hear him say, you missed an opportunity. You missed an opportunity. But if you're here today, and you know in your heart that you're not ready, you know in your heart, or if there's any doubt whatsoever in your heart about you being ready, should the Lord appear, should the rapture take place, or should the Lord take you home just like that? Be ready. Be ready. Prepare your hearts. Is there anyone here who would say, Pastor, I'm not sure. I want to be sure, but I'm not sure. Can you help me? Will you pray for me today that I will know that I'm ready? If anyone would be honest with yourself and honest with God and say, Pastor, I need to make sure. I want to know sure that I'm sure. That I'm sure, that I'm sure. We just lift your hand up. I want to pray with you. Thank you. Is there anyone else? Say, Pastor, pray for me. I'm just not quite sure. I want to be sure. Thank you. Is there anyone else? You just want to be ready. You want to make sure. You want to erase any doubt in your mind and your heart as to whether you're ready. You've been listening to Destiny City, a community of believers committed to helping others find and fulfill their God-given destiny. For more information, visit us online at destinycity.org.